History, according to Luke 15, Part 1, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Good morning, Metro. Good morning to those online and to all the parents in the nursery. Let me just address the monkey in the room. Uh, I have a broken hand. This is not a costume. And uh, I had an incident with my dog this week. We were wrestling together, and uh, one thing led to another, and I broke my hand. He didn't bite me, okay? So just please don't think that he did. But, uh, but uh, I had a little incident, but hopefully I'll get better in uh, six weeks. We'll see. I had surgery on Thursday. There's a pin inside here, so uh, it's good. My wife's been taking really good care of me. I know I'm annoying her, but she's been taking really good care of me uh, nonetheless. Uh, before we get started, I have a word today for you as we look at this, you know, because basically when, we, when, we, when a pastor looks at a passage that we have to preach on, especially as we're in the Gospel of Luke, the text preaches a sermon, and not everything that you read, especially the teachings of Jesus, is an easy teaching. And today I think it's, I don't know if it's a heart teaching, but I think it's a teaching that you and I have to be aware of. And uh, it's an important word that we need to hear today. So let's just close our eyes and just prepare ourselves. I call this a centering prayer. I want to give you 30 seconds to just center yourself with Jesus. And how you do that is just be in silence. If you find your mind being distracted, Just say the word Jesus over and over to kind of send you back to him, okay? So 30 minutes of silence, centering yourself on Jesus, and then I'll pray for us. God, we thank you for the living word of God. We thank you, God, that it's not just there to cater to our needs, but it's there to teach us more about you, to even get a glimpse and a a glance at the throb of your heart for us, for others. And so as we look at this text today, God, uh, there's a lot of text. I pray that you would help us, help us to see you. And I pray that as we capture that glimpse of you, that we would be so captivated by your beauty because of your grace and your mercy, God, that it would propel us to be more radical for you. So, Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, I pray, God, that it will be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, uh, my wife, I love my wife. And because I love her, I naturally like to do things for her that make her happy. Right? I mean, come on, husbands and wives, don't you like to do some things to your spouse so that it can bring them joy? I don't know about you, but it gives me a lot of motivation sometimes when I know I'm doing certain things and she's going to get really happy about it. Uh, and so for my wife, her love language and a love language is simply doing certain things for your spouse where she or he feels very loved by you. Uh, my wife's love language is acts of service. She loves it when I do acts of service For her, and so she likes, you know, so in the mornings I make sure I make her a cup of coffee. I make sure she has some breakfast before she goes to work. Like that's acts of service that I know she'll enjoy. But this past summer, she said to me, she said, we have to clean our garage. We have not cleaned it in two years. It's messy. And I hate cleaning the garage. I hate that kind of stuff. But I said, you know what? She kept bugging me about it. I said, we'll do it. Let's plan on it this Saturday. And so we set a time to do that. She decided to go off to work, and I said, you know what? I'm going to clean this garage all by myself because I want to make her happy. I spent the entire day cleaning my garage, and it was absolutely filthy. I cleaned it up. Not only did I do that, I took it to another level. 
I power washed my deck because it was filthy, all right? And I took it to another level. I decided to power wash my front steps at my house, the concrete steps. They were so dirty. And so I power washed that. She comes home, and my goodness, is as if Brad Pitt was in the house. <laughs> she looked at me like, I love you. She could not believe what I did, that I would not just clean the garage, but that's just out of the blue. I cleaned the deck. I cleaned the front of the steps. That I took those acts of service seriously, and I did it not because I wanted to do it. I mean, it took me all day. I was starving. I was, like, dehydrated doing it. But I did it because I knew she was going to be so happy. And that was enough motivation for me that I was willing to go through all of that because I knew it was going to get her excited and make her real happy. Have you ever thought about what makes God happy? You know, I know we pursue God in a relationship because I think you want God to make you happy. I get that. And so we go to him, we pursue him, we expect God to do certain things in our lives. We pray for those things, all good things for sure. But many times we enter our relationship with God expecting God to always make us happy or bring us joy. But if you say you love him, have you ever thought about what brings God joy? What makes God happy? And shouldn't the things that make God happy and brings him joy, shouldn't it give you sort of a passion or a desire to want to do those certain things? Because you know if you do it, God will be so happy that he'll be deeply blessed by what you decide to do. Last Sunday, we discovered what a disciple is. A definition of a disciple is somebody who identifies with the mission of God and makes it their greatest priority. That is a disciple. That is who a disciple is. And when we can identify with God's mission and we make it our greatest priority, God is never more happy and more joyful. And what I'd like to do today is that I want us to look at this, look at, a, look at three parables where you're going to see Jesus teaching us a powerful truth about God and what brings him the greatest amount of joy. And folks, discipleship is about you living your life a certain way, dedicating yourself to the mission of God so that God too can experience joy and be a blessing, that you can be a blessing in the lives of others as well. And so we're going to look at this. We're going to look at what brings God the greatest amount of joy and how can you and I dedicate our lives to doing it. That's what we're going to look at. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 32. Luke 15, 1 through 32. And this is what it says. Now the tax collector and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now listen, I mean, you got to understand that Jesus had no problems eating with tax collectors, hanging out with sinners. But back in those days, a rabbi would never associate themselves with tax collectors and notorious sinners. They just wouldn't. And I think for many of us, like, if you saw me hanging out with a drug dealer, what would you be thinking? Seriously. What would you be thinking if you saw me, like, on the streets? I was hanging out in Times Square, and you saw me hanging out with this drug dealer. You would think something weird, wouldn't you? If you saw me hanging out with somebody who was sentenced to prison because they committed a crime and I was spending time with that person, what would you be thinking? Can I be a little bit more serious? If you saw me hanging out with Harvey Weinstein, what would you be thinking? You would say something, wouldn't you? The Pharisees did. Because they said, Jesus, you're a righteous person. Your righteousness excludes you from these people. And that was their mindset. And therein lies the problem with Jesus and with a lot of us followers of God. We've lost sight of what brings God joy. And so Jesus goes into this parable, three parables, and he talks about these three parables. The first one is about a shepherd, 
who has a hundred sheep and he loses one. And he says, wouldn't the shepherd, because he loves all hundred, but because he lost the one, would leave the 99 and go after that one and find him? Wouldn't, they, wouldn't the shepherd do that? Of course he would. And then he says, what happens when the shepherd actually finds that one sheep? He brings him back to the sheepfold. He throws a party. He's rejoicing. He calls his friends and he says, we got to have a party because the lost sheep is now found. And then I want you to pay attention to verse 7. This is what he says. He connects that to God. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Then he goes on to the other parable and it talks about this woman who's got 10 coins, silver coins. She loses one. You ever lose something in your house? And she turns her house upside down looking for this one lost silver coin. When she finally finds it, she rejoices. And she not only just rejoices to herself, she calls her friends and says, come on, let's rejoice together because I found my lost coin. And, he's, and, and Jesus says in verse 10 again, he says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now in verse 11, here's the main crux of the sermon today. Verse 11, it says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Probably the son received about one third of the father's wealth, one third of the father's wealth. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now listen, you got to understand the situation that this man's in, this younger son. It's dire. So dire that he's actually taking care of pigs. You know anything about the Jewish faith? Pigs are unclean animals. They're never ever to go near them. And so he was caring for the pigs. Why? Because he was in such dire situation. He was so lost that he was taking care of pigs. So much so also that he was looking at what they were eating because he was so hungry. He was coveting what they were eating. That's how bad his situation was. In verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son... The father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost 
and is found. Sometimes we come to church on Sundays and we kind of want to hear a sermon that will bless us. This sermon is not to bless you. This sermon is about you blessing God. That you actually get into a place and saying, God, how can I bless you because of what you've done for me? How can I be a blessing to you? And so what brings God the greatest joy according to this, these three parables? It's when a lost person is found. Nothing brings God greater joy when a lost person who doesn't know God or decides to live a different lifestyle like the younger son does and then eventually is found again. Nothing brings God greater joy than that. And so when you and I can tailor our lives in such a way where we can be a conduit of God's grace so that people can experience God's grace through our lives in some way as we love and, and connect with them and that God uses us so that eventually they're found, nothing brings God joy. And so if you want to like blow God away, if you want to bring joy into God's life, it's really about you serving the lost. It's about you loving them. It's about you praying and hoping that God would somehow be able to use your own broken life to lead somebody to the place of where they can connect with Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a place of joy. Like, listen, if you can actually, like, download that information into your mind and into your heart and you actually experience God using your life to lead somebody to Jesus Christ, there's no greater joyful feeling in the world than that. I'm serious. It is honestly the stuff where seriously, like, where dreams happen when you allow God to use you in that way. And so God's mission is for you and I to dedicate our lives to save the lost. That's really what it's about. The heavens rejoice, it says, when one lost person, child, comes back to God. And so as a result of that, would you be willing to be a disciple, a disciple somebody who identifies with Jesus' mission and makes it their greatest priority? Will you begin to now say, well, then how do I orient my life in such a way where I can now connect with the lost in that way? The sad thing is, for many of us, we don't care about the lost. We don't. We really don't have any desire or any concern about the lost. We don't have any desire. Even like we have family members who are lost today but we don't care about them. We really don't. And we really got to ask ourselves, what's going on here? You see, in this passage, there are two lost types of people. The first lost people are like the younger son. They, they are like the rebels, the sinners, quote unquote, when the beginning of this passage, we looked at the tax collectors and the sinners. Those are like the notorious sinners. They are the lost. These are the rebels. They, they decided to sort of walk away from God's house, and they want to live their life their own way. That's the lost. And many of you know that that's the lost. Right? We all know that those are the lost, that God calls us to go and to serve and to love. But you know who else is the lost? See, that's the first group of people. But there's another group of people who are actually lost. But you know what? These people, they don't believe that they are. That's the scary thing about this group of people. You know who they are? They're the eldest son in the story. That's the Pharisees. That's the Jewish law of officials. Those people, they don't believe that they're lost, but they're really lost because they don't have any concern or care for lost people. So who, is the, who are the eldest people, eldest son? It's us. It's church people. We're the other group of people that might be lost today. And you see what the Pharisees did, and you see this eldest son, when he saw his brother receiving all this love and mercy from the father, he was upset, wasn't he? He was jealous. 
Because he wanted that there needed to be some kind of retribution, some kind of contrition that the son had to go through in order to receive that kind of favor from the father. And so we find that the eldest son was really a, a, a contributor to the oppression of society, a contributor to the oppression of even his own brother. And we find that when you look at the Pharisees, especially in the Gospels, you'll find that many times they were people that continued to perpetuate oppression in their society, and they don't think they're lost, but they actually are lost. And that's a lot of us here today, perhaps. We might be lost, and you don't even know that you're lost. You know, because what did the father say? He said, hey, listen, you've been always in my home to the eldest son. And many of you come to church every Sunday like this eldest son, but you actually might be lost today. You might be, right? Last Sunday, we kind of unveiled a bit more about what the mission of Jesus is. And it's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Let me just, let me just read that really quickly. Luke 4, 18 and 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' mission was to search and to find the lost. But he also, the other group of people that he really served were the ones who were being oppressed. They were lost as well. They were lost. And so many times we here in the church, we're like the eldest brother because for us, our faith is always just about us. It's not about anything else. We approach our faith as a as, as sort of as, as rules of do's and don'ts and, and how maybe God can bless us, but we never think about the other person. We don't give much mind and thought to people even in our own society that are being oppressed today, that we don't even give much mind and thought to that. And so many times we're lost as well. And let me just ask us, because I think, you know, this is a challenge I think God wants to have for all of us. Are we the eldest son today? Do you not give any mind or any thought to people in our world that are struggling with poverty, abject poverty? Wesley came up here and talked about that poop, that some people in Africa, they put their feet in poop because it's so cold. That's true. That's true because it's so cold that when cows poop, they would, put their, they would fight. Kids would fight about who gets to put their feet in the poop to keep their feet warm because they don't have any shoes. Do you care about the abject poverty that's happening even here in our country as a result of it? And it's not because people are lazy like a lot of us like to think. A lot of times it's because of certain social structures that have been in place where they cannot get out of their state of poverty. That they were not afforded the chances that you and I were afforded. Do we have a heart for that? Do we care about the oppressed? Because if we don't, then you just approach God and your faith based upon how God can bless you and not anyone else. And that's, then we're really lost. We're like the eldest son. We're like the eldest son, right? Prisoners. Do you know there's a major issue with mass incarceration with black and brown people today? They make a fraction of our population, but yet they make up the majority of the population in prison. There's a sense of injustice there as well. And then what about reentry when they get out? Do they even have an opportunity to make it in this world when they have a record on their file saying that they were in prison, that they're a criminal? You see, we don't even pay mind to that, and that's one of the key people in which Jesus was reaching. Recently, we talked a little bit about Me Too. Hashtag. Some of you know about this on social media. It's women are being empowered not to finally share their story and how they've been oppressed by a man. And some of the things that you see on social media are pretty, pretty bold of women to be sharing that stuff very publicly, right? 
And it all started because of what happened with Harvey Weinstein and this very powerful Hollywood movie producer and how he's been basically sexually abusing women for decades with people knowing and nobody did anything about it. And it took a few women who were bold enough to come and finally, so, uh, finally share and confess where this is being sort of brought to our attention now. All of a sudden, listen, I worked in the television industry for four years. This stuff has been going on forever. And you know, like as men, we just have to be careful, guys. Because we like to just objectify women to, as a sexual object. But do you know what that does to them when we do that? How we reduce a woman to that? It denigrates who they are and how God made them. And in many ways, because we were able to reduce a woman of being less than how God made them to be somebody who's creating their image, do you realize what we're doing then? Then we're oppressing them. There's all sorts of things that you may say, well, I've never sexually abused a woman. I get that. That's okay. All right. But do you know also that we men, just how we see women today is oppression in and of itself? Do you realize no matter how gifted a woman is, if she becomes a CEO in this country, she'll never make more than a man just because she's a woman, that there are things. And do you realize what the church has done in contributing to the oppression of women? Do you realize that? And so when you see stuff like this on social media, how do you respond to it? Are you just apathetic about it and saying, ah, forget it, these women don't know anything. How do you respond to that? You see, you may not even know this, but you're a lot more lost than you think you are because you're not paying attention to the cries of people's heart. The thing that the father did was he paid attention to the cry of his child's heart. And we as people who are considered, we should be woke, we need to have a heart for those who are oppressed and who are hurting. Racial inequities that's still happening in our society more so than ever because of the new administration, that there is greater polarization between us even ethnically as a result of it, and you don't think that affects the church? You don't think that's a gospel mandate for us to be agents of transformation, to bring forth greater racial equity and, and unity amongst people here in this country and around the world? You don't think that's a part of the gospel message? What Bible have you been reading? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we love reading the first 10 verses because it talks about how God, Paul says, God, rich in his grace and mercy, reconciles us to him. We love that, and that's true. But then we neglect the next 10 verses from 11 to 20. When Paul says that Jesus Christ came and died for us, so what? To break down the walls of racial hostility so that we can be one. That's the gospel mandate. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, I mean, uh, Galatians 3.20, he says, for there's neither Jew, no Greek, male, no female, slave, no free, because we're all what? One in Jesus Christ. It's a gospel mandate. And for many of us, we think racial equity or talking about race, racial injustice is a political thing. It's a gospel-centered thing. And some of us are lost we're like the eldest brother because we don't really think about that. All we care about is how God can bless me today in my life. And we don't realize how lost we really are like the oldest brother. So the two types of lost people are the wayward people, like the rebels, like the youngest son. But the others are like a lot of us, the oldest son, where we just don't have a heart for the hurting today. And we'd rather just have God just bless us and focus his blessings upon our lives. And so then how can we begin to be more passionate about the lost? How can you and I be more passionate about the lost? 
there are two things that I see in this passage that will help you and I to be more passionate about the lost. The first is this, we gotta remember the day that we were lost. You have to remember the time when you were once lost. Do you remember the time when you were lost? Look at verse 11. Verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Do you remember the time when you were once lost? Do you? Like this boy was. Do you remember the time when you dedicated your life to wild living and you just decided to go your own way? Do you remember that time? Do you remember how hopeless it was? Do you remember the time when your situation was so dire like this youngest son where he had no food to eat? He was working with unclean animals. He was working with the pigs and what they were eating, he started to covet and wanted to eat that as well. Do you remember a time where you were in such dire straits, you were going through crisis in your life and you just felt utterly lost? Do you remember those moments? Because if you do, and if you try to always put yourself back in those moments, you're gonna have a heart for the lost, always. Your heart will be filled with so much more grace, compassion and understanding than with wanting to reject people, being jealous and wanting to condemn them. It always happens that way, but do you, Remember the time when you were lost. I remember the time when I was lost. When you're a kid, you don't really know you're lost. When I, my father would come home and sometimes and as a kid and he was being physically violent towards my mom and myself, I didn't know that I was lost. I just was really afraid. And that did something to you because when you're a little child and you have fear in your own home and you don't feel safe in your house, your home should be a place of safety, should be a refuge for you, it really does something to you. And for me, because I, I didn't have that kind of stability at home, I was trying to find that kind of acceptance outside of the house. I was lost. And as a result of that, I did things that I shouldn't be doing, and I denied who I am as a result of that. And it was just a really horrible time kind of growing up because I was lost. Nobody really knew, but I was so lost, I was doing whatever I could to be accepted by others. Really, I was. That was sort of my life. And I tried to do that because I longed to feel that kind of acceptance outside in some kind of an arena because I wasn't experiencing that at home. When I was in the fifth grade, I had a, my friend's father introduced me to pornography. In fifth grade, he said, you should watch this because you're becoming a man. I was lost. It brought me into a world at that age, in fifth grade, where it became a major struggle in my life. I was lost. I was so lost that when I moved from um, Elmer's, Queens to Palisades Park, it was in a completely Italian-Irish town. Guys know kids made fun of me all the time. The way I looked, made fun of my eyes, all the time they did that. And I hated it. I hated it so much that I did whatever I could to be more like them. And so if you see some of my high school pictures, and I should bring some and show you one day, I look Italian. I don't look Italian, but I tried to. I had a mullet, I had a nice gold chain, had my fake Cavariccis on. <laughs> I was lost. I was so lost that I wanted to be accepted by them that they would make fun of Korean students in front of me. I was so lost that I didn't defend them. I didn't say, why are you doing that? I was so lost that I laughed with them 
because I wanted to be accepted by them. Even though inside I was dying a slow death because it, sh- it bothered me like none other. Because when they made fun of that person, that Korean student, they were making fun of me. But yet I was so lost, I couldn't do it. I couldn't stick up for them. I couldn't stick up for myself. I was so lost. I was so lost back then, like I didn't even apply myself at school. I did terrible in school. I didn't get any good grades. When I was, uh, I just, I'll share with you my GPA, 2.7. Right? Some of you looking at like yourself, you're like, even if I didn't try, I wouldn't get a 2.7. <laughs> well, listen, all right, I got a 2.7, all right? I just never did, because for me, my friends, they never studied. They, they, all, they all did bad. We all just kind of did sports and things like that, and school was an important thing. And so, yeah, that was my GPA in high school. I tell that to my kids. They laugh at me. Like, how in the world can that be a GPA? But it was. Don't judge me. But it was. <laughs> I was so lost. I was so lost. You ever remember a time when you were that lost? When things you know you should be doing is right, but yet you can't because of the social pressures or just because you feel like nobody really loves you or you kind of feel like a loser? Do you remember the time when you were lost like that? You see, many of you have forgotten that, and that's a sad reality for a lot of us, is that we've forgotten the time when we were really lost, when we were like in dire straits like that younger son. And because we've forgotten it, we've lost passion for lost people today. That you even have family members who are lost and you don't even care about them because you've forgotten that you were once lost. You need to remember that today. You need to remember how God took you out of the miry clay, it says in Psalms, and he put a new song in your heart. And he came and rescued you. You need to remember that you were once lost, all right? That gives you passion for the lost. The second thing that gives you greater passion for the lost, not only do you remember when you were once lost, but then you gotta remember when you were found. When you were found. Remember the day when you were found? Look at the younger son when he was found. I bet you he never forgot this day. Verse 21. The son said to him, he was walking back home. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He was hoping to be a, a father's servant. That was his best case scenario. But look what the father does. He never forgot the day that he was found. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Do you remember the day when you were found? Do you remember the day when you struggled and you were so lost and then you finally experienced God's mercy and his grace over your life and as a result of that, you were found? Do you remember that? Because if you do, I guarantee you that was a day where you realized I want to do whatever I can to connect with as many lost people as I can because I want them to experience what I just found. That I want them to experience what I have right now in my life. That for me happened on December 29th in 1989. I was a sophomore in high school. I came back from a wrestling tournament all right, I went to this conference, and back in my days, we don't call Christian gatherings conferences. You know what we call them? Revival meetings, all right? It's a little presumptuous, right? But we believe if you go, there's going to be a revival in your life. So I went to this revival meeting, not for necessarily spiritual reasons. I just went there just to kind of meet some friends and maybe meet a few girls. That was my hope, all right? Never believing that this would be the day that God would find me, but he did. And it started because this praise leader got up, and he's a pastor now, but he got up and he started sharing how he struggled with pornography for a long time. And again, that definitely resonated with me. 
But then he said how God had helped, has been helping him to overcome this addiction, and that just really spoke to me. Then the pastor came up, and, and he, before he gave his sermon, he shared that his son was actually in the hospital in intensive care. And he said, but he believes that God's going to take care of him. And he preached a sermon. I don't remember what he said, but the fact that he was able to preach a sermon and be at peace blew me away. And I said, I need what you have. Because I cannot believe you're in this peace. Because my mom, because I, I grew up sick in Korea, so we came to this country so that I can sort of survive. I don't know really what I had, but I had some kind of condition. And so the doctor said, if you want this kid to survive, go to America. And so back in those days, it was easier to, to immigrate to the States. But whenever I got a little sick, my mom would overworry, thinking I was going to die. And to see this pastor just have this sense of peace, it blew me away. I gave my life to Jesus. And at that moment, I said, I want to do whatever I can, God. I want to do whatever I can to be used by you in a way where others can find what I just found in you. Whatever I can do. Do you remember the time when God found you? Do you remember that time? You have to, because if you do, you'll have a greater passion for the things that God has a passion for, which is the lost, right? Which is the lost. And so in the end, are you willing to remember that once you were lost? And also, are you willing to remember again that God has found you? Because if you do that, then you do become more passionate about the law. So today, my hope is that you'll spend some time just reflecting upon what life was like before, before you knew God, what it was like, and also remembering and reflecting on what life was, is now because God has found you. And then through that, that God will give you a deeper passion for those who don't know Jesus Christ, because a disciple is somebody who identifies with the mission of God and makes it their greatest priority, and that is saving the lost, being used by God to impact the lives of people who don't know him, okay? So then how do we do this then? Once you say, okay, well, how do I kind of do this? I, I kind of want to share with you sort of, I hope, a way that will empower all of us to go and to start being used by God in some ways to love and care for the lost, all right? Because back in my day, I was taught like we do this through like evangelism or cold turkey evangelism. You guys remember what cold turkey? How many of you remember the four steps to peace with God? Right, the four spiritual laws. You guys know that? You guys ever use that? I used it. I was trained on my campus to use it. And so it would kind of go like this. You'd walk up to random strangers and you'd ask the question, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And you know, some men will say, we don't know, you know, heaven, hell. And it's like, well, let me just share with you just so that you're certain. And then you would start going over the four spiritual laws. It really worked back in those days, I think, at some level. And I'm not saying it's not working now, but it's different in this culture today. That's going to require a lot more than you than just going cold turkey and just seeing somebody for like five minutes and thinking that's going to do it. No, it requires a lot more than that. How do we reach the lost today? Really, there's two things here that I see. The first is you and I have to develop an intentional relationship with the lost. We have to develop an intentional relationship with the lost. You have to put yourself out there. When I say intentional relationship, I, I, I simply mean this. You got to be willing to love people with no strings attached. That's intentionally building a relation with them. Now listen, you want them to come to know Jesus Christ, but if you just kind of only pursue a relation with them only because you want them to know God, then somehow, you know, I, I find that the people who don't know God, they figure that out, and they don't, they don't like that feeling, that the only reason why you want to be my friend is because you want to lead me to Jesus? Come on, can't you just be my friend because you really like who I am? 
And so it's important that you are developing intentional relationships. I was at a conference many, many years ago, and it was a group of pastors, a pastor's conference, and we just introduced ourselves. And this one guy said to us, one of the pastors said, my name is so-and-so, and till date I've led 25 people to Jesus Christ. People were like, wow, that's pretty great. And I just sat there and I just thought, it's wrong when evangelism becomes about you keeping score. Something wrong about that. And so really it's about building an intentional relationship. We find that the shepherd had a relationship with the lost sheep. The father obviously had a relationship with the lost son. And we also find that even the woman had a relationship with her coins. And so it's imperative that you and I need to have relationships with people, intentional relationships. Now listen, with social media today, just because you're friends with somebody on Facebook, it doesn't mean that you're actually friends. Really. Just because you follow somebody on Twitter or on Instagram, it doesn't mean that you have a relationship. And I know this, in this day and age, with a lot of us young people, we believe that that's good enough. But it's not. we got to be willing to develop intentional relationships with people who don't know Jesus Christ. Amen? We have to. We have to do that. And our hope is simply this, that our lives will be lived in such a way that they will come in contact with God's presence. Let your life speak words of God to people, all right? And it's not about perfection or you trying to be more holy than you really are, but I think it's great just to be honest and, 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 and aware of your brokenness in front of them. It's okay to show them your humanity, but building an intentional relationship with them is going to be very key and crucial. And really what you do then, and a lot of us, when we think about evangelism, we're so afraid to do that because we feel like we don't know enough Bible, we don't have enough understanding of theology, and I understand that. And that is one form of evangelism. But friendship evangelism, all you have to share, really, is how God has impacted your life. That's what you have to do with people. Just share, hey, can I just share with you how God has impacted my life? And you'll be surprised that as you share your story, as you hear their story, that some of the stuff will parallel between you and them. That God will somehow connect you with certain people where you guys have some, cross, uh, some, some, some connections in your story. It's amazing how that happens. But you got to be willing to put yourself out there and develop those intentional relationships with people, especially those who don't know Jesus Christ, that we have to be willing to do that. Uh, this summer, I got a chance to befriend a lot of different new people. I coached my son's baseball team. And, you know, when you coach a, a, your kid's baseball team, you meet a lot of parents. And so I got a chance to connect with a bunch of parents. I also played softball for our town during the summer. So, again, I got a chance to meet a lot of other folks there. And then one day I was walking my dog, and uh, as I was walking my dog at Wood Park, which is right by my house, um, a bunch of guys were playing basketball like at 7.30 in the morning on Sunday. And, uh, and as I was walking them, they just started yelling my name. And I looked, and it was a bunch of guys I play softball with, guys that, I'm in, I, you know, that we do baseball with. And so they said, why don't you start coming and start playing? And I said, sure. So I started playing basketball with them Sundays at 7.30. They all know I'm a pastor. And one time one guy came to me and goes, yo, shouldn't you be at church right now? I said, oh, no, no, I'm on sabbatical. And they're like, what's a sabbatical? And so we started talking about that. And then he just said, you know, do you only work one day a week? I said, how dare you? No, no, I work more than one day. I was like, this is, this is why I need a sabbatical, right? So we just, they just were honest. They wanted to know. They, they were interested and curious, but they only were able to ask me those questions because we have a relationship and a friendship, right? My coaching staff that I have on, on, on my, my Little League team, I mean, it's a great group of people. Um, and one of the guys, uh, you know, he's been so great to me. I mean, I feel like he's witnessing to me these days. He found out I broke my hand. And so he texts me every day, you doing all right? How you feeling? He knew I did how to do a wedding yesterday. And said, how did the wedding go? Was it okay? Were you in a lot of pain? 
I'm like, man, this guy showed me so much love. And so for me, it's just about nurturing these relationships in hopes that they will be at a place one day that just naturally and organically I can just share my story of how God's impacted my life. And perhaps maybe it'll cross, it'll, it'll come, it will connect with their story. But we got to be willing to develop relationships because at the end, nothing brings God more joy when you and I develop relationships with the lost. Nothing. That's what Jesus was doing it. And the Pharisees got on his case for it. Nothing brings God more joy when we nurture relationships with the lost. And then the last thing and how we impact the lost is not only do you nurture and develop intentional relationships, but then you got to start discerning next steps for them. You got to figure out what are the next steps I need to take in this relationship with them, right? And so that really requires a lot of prayer. It requires discernment and trying to listen to God and the Holy Spirit, right, and just trying to direct you. Maybe you can talk to a pastor or a leader in our church and just ask for their advice. But it's really discerning what the next steps are. For me, the next step for me, like with my coaching staff, is I sent out an email and I said, hey, let's go out for dinner. Let's connect and do a meal together. I want to just thank you for serving so hard and working with the kids this, uh, this fall and just connecting and, and having a relationship in that way. And maybe through that, something deeper can happen, right? Can I encourage you a next step that you and I can do together? Invite them to church. I can't wait till I start inviting some of these folks to church. I got a list of people because I built a relationship with them. Invite them to come and be a part of Metro just for a day. The best service to invite them to in the near future is November 19th, our Thanksgiving Sunday service. You know what happens on Thanksgiving Sunday. We have a phenomenal meal together, just a great service. I encourage you to invite them to come and be a part, and you never know what God can do in a service. Sometimes we think we have to be the ones to lead them to Christ. No, you just have to be the ones to hold their hand and bring them. And there's other ways in how people can come and connect with God in that way. So discerning next steps, figuring out what are the next steps in how I can connect with this person and perhaps maybe lead them one step closer to God because in the end, nothing brings God greater joy when you and I are used as a conduit to connect people to Jesus. Nothing brings greater joy to God than that. And I hope that your hearts would be overwhelmed by that, that you would begin to feel the throb of God's heart for the lost, that it would begin to throb in yours. When uh, I dated my wife for about seven years before we got married, and when God was calling me into ministry and I felt that calling into ministry, I started to question if she was the right one for me. I said, is she pastor's wife material? <laughs> All right? And so I sort of came up with a list of what I felt a pastor's wife needed, and she didn't have any of that. She didn't know how to play the piano. I felt like a pastor's wife should know how to play the piano. She should have some musical abilities. She had none. All right? She's a real hardcore introvert. Uh, and part of that was because I think she was more comfortable speaking Korean in social settings. And all my friends spoke English. And so whenever she was around my friends, she was like really quiet, just kind of away from like everyone. And I'm like, man, pastor's wife has to like be able to mingle and talk to people, make people feel welcomed and stuff like that. I was like, I don't see that in her. She doesn't have it, right? And so uh, I decided to break up with her. And so I called her and I said, you know what, I think I got to, I called her. I was like, let's get together. And so we went, picked her up at her house. We went over to the park. And I said, honey, um, I think we need to break up. She said, why? I said, because God's calling me to be a pastor. And I know you don't want to be a pastor's wife. Right? And uh, she said, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> like that quick? She said, okay. And we broke up. And guys, let me tell you, it was the longest 24 hours of my life. <laughs> Seriously, that day felt like 24 years, all right? 
I called her and I said, I need you back. I'm so sorry. I'm stupid. Please forgive me. And so we got back together. We got married. And then we went off to California to pursue my seminary education. And I started to see her, like, grow. She started connecting with friends and started connecting and doing things. We, our house became a place of hospitality. My friends would come over because they loved her cooking. And they're like, Jenny, we were hungry. You got food. And she cooked people food and, and connect. She'd like be thinking when we go to like the supermarkets, oh, who can we invite to our house? And I started to see some great signs in her. Right? We graduate. We come back here. And, you know, my wife has been working for Sharp for about 11 years now almost. And, you know, my wife's about this tall. She's right there. And she told me, please don't share this. But do you know she's an evangelist? She's pretty darn good at it. She's befriended so many people at her job. They eat together all the time. They connect. And uh, she thinks about them. Like, you know, like our, even this week, we had, like, extra, like, Korean food. And there's a coworker of hers that really loves Korean food. So she bought them a whole bag of bulgogi, the Korean beef. And then she just went in. And she was, hey, I just want you to know I got you your food. And so he came down, he took it, he ate it. Just these little love gestures and stuff like that, right? She's been doing that for the past 10 years. She's connecting and, and talking with them. And you know what she did a couple, many years ago? She said to one of her coworkers, she said, hey, you know, we're having a Thanksgiving service. We have great food. Would you think about maybe coming out to it? And she said, okay. And she did. She came out. It was amazing. Several months later, there was another gal at, the church, at, at her job. And she said, hey, you know, we have a series called God on Film. If you come, you get a free movie ticket. Why don't you come and, you know, just come and check it out, see what it's about. And she did. And, you know, Janet, can we show this picture? Janet Figueroa and Judy Atkins have been such an integral part of our church. And Janet, about two years ago, moved down to Tampa because uh, there was a job opportunity because she felt like God was leading her there. But when she was here, she served in Metro Tots. She served in the singles ministry. She was a vibrant par uh, part of our church. And it was just a blessing. And she's in Florida right now serving God and, and is doing things of leadership at her church. It's a blessing. I baptized her the following year on Thanksgiving. It's a blessing, right? And Judy Atkins, you guys know Judy and Bruce. Bruce comes to church now. They led my small, our small group last Thursday in my house, Judy and Bruce. God's doing wonderful things in their lives. They're a part of our church. They come out to Wednesday night services at their office, Thursday small group at my house, Friday morning, 6 a.m. prayer meeting at the church office. I mean, they're, in, they're vitally a part of our church. Judy serves in the Metro Kids. Bruce teaches free guitar lessons to anyone in our church who wants to learn during this service, second service. And God's allowed them to experience him in a deeper way as they're here. And I cannot imagine the joy that God felt when these people, these two, were found. My wife has invited a lot more people to our church but not all of them have come, and that's okay. But it's just about nurturing a relationship, having enough credibility enough so that you can just say, hey, you know, why don't you think about coming out? Come out to our church one Sunday and see what happens. That's all it really takes, Metro. God's heart rejoices, the heavens rejoice when a lost child is found. Does your heart rejoice today over the fact that God wants to use you to find a lost child so that they can be found today. Amen. My hope is that it will, and that you would orient your life like a disciple, where a disciple is somebody who identifies with that mission of God and makes it their greatest priority in life. May that be that way for you in your life.
Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.